My interest is in creating habitats for other creatures because I don't want to move onto a bit of ground and shove everything else out. Hello, hello, my gardening friends, and welcome to the Dizzy Heights of Episode 7 from Pot and Cloche Garden Podcasts. I'm Joff Elphick, a gardener from Gloucestershire in England, and today I talk to a person who is very well known in the UK, has a keen following in Australia and New Zealand, but maybe less well known in other countries around the world. And that guest is Pam Ayres, a poet who has written several books over the years, but more recently has written a beautiful little book concerned with the plight and slow disappearance of one of our favourite garden visitors, the hedgehog. As usual, there'll be my product review slot where I talk to my longtime gardening pal Jeff Carr about a product that's really affordable, useful, and could potentially save you from injury. Well, I think so. I can't start the show without mentioning my lovely sponsors, My Window Box, who supply a wide range of period style and modern window boxes in aluminium and steel with drop in or freestanding troughs to match. Please, if you haven't already, take the time to look at their website at mywindowbox.com and bring the garden to your window. Enough of the intro entree, let's get stuck into the main course. Welcome Erinaceus Europaeus, Mrs Tiggywinkle, the humble hedge pig. Incidentally, and without googling, what's the collective name for a gathering of hedgehogs? Answer at the end of this. My guest today needs no introduction, but for the sake of listeners in Europe, Japan or America, I'll uh, introduce her anyway. Best known as a poet and a writer, her appearances on a TV talent show in the 1970s led to a variety of guest appearances on television and radio, something that continues to this day. Since then, she's gone on to write seven books, and her latest book, The Last Hedgehog, was published earlier this year. Pam Ayres, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Joff. Now, Pam, this lovely little book, it's got beautiful illustrations by Alice Tate. Can you tell me how it came about? Well, it's based in my interest in and affection for wildlife, really. Um, I particularly like hedgehogs. They're our only spiny mammal. And they are disappearing at a terrible rate. And at the current rate of decline, they will be extinct in 10 years which is um, very, very sad in my opinion. I'd love to tell you why I wrote the poem. I'd love to say, aha, it came to me like a bolt out of the blue when I saw this hedgehog. (laughs) But I don't actually know. It just came along, as things tend to do to me. They come from somewhere. Um, And I had this idea of writing a poem from the point of view of a hedgehog that was angry. You know, he was saying you didn't look after us there used to be millions of us and um and and you didn't look after us and now i'm the last one left and i'm not going to make it and thanks for nothing you know it's quite a feisty little person yes. this this hedgehog is no shrinking violet um and i i liked it and i liked the end it's got a really sad end um and uh, so anyway i wrote it it was quite long i didn't know what i 
could do with it really and I sent it to my agent I got a lovely literary agent called Vivian and said do you think we can do anything with this do you think anybody would like it and she went to Picador who do these lovely little books they do them a lot at Christmas um, with beautiful illustrations in and they liked it and they introduced me to Alice Tate who I hadn't ever heard of who came up with the most wonderful illustrations and I think it's produced a magical little book and what she can do with a hedgehog's face with her illustrations with a dot here and a line there and a little smile or a grimace is extraordinary and I think it's been a really successful marriage. Yeah I do love the illustrations and uh, I like the way it highlights the perils of uh, hedgehogs um, but it also makes suggestions on how we as gardeners can improve this little creature's chances of survival. Um, yeah. Do you mind reciting the poem so oh, that we can like pick that. up on all these points you bring up? Absolutely, I don't mind reciting it at all. The thing is, it's, um, it's quite graphic, it doesn't pull any punches. Um, and I think it shocks people a little bit at the beginning, but then it does go on to explain all the simple things that people can do, as you say. Well, my next point to make was that it does come with a bit of a health warning, doesn't it, in terms <laughs> of uh, the age of people who might be listening or, or reading? Indeed, yeah. And I always say to an audience, that if because um, we sell books at my performances, and I always say to people, this is a little book, it has beautiful illustrations, but be a bit cautious if you're going to buy it for very young children, because it it tells it like it is. You have to imagine I'm a hedgehog. Farewell, farewell for what it's worth from the final hedgehog left on earth. My cousin Henry, young and bright, went up in flames on bonfire night. And poor old grandpa, fast asleep, was stabbed to death in a compost heap. My uncle, in one playful bound, fell in a swimming pool and drowned. My gran was old, her eyes had dimmed, but all the same she wound up. Strimmed, you didn't look, you didn't see, and there she goes, an amputee. If in your fence you'd made a space, we could have moved from place to place, have found a gal, paid our respects, had some cautious hedgehog sex, and in a cosy pile of logs produced a nest of little hogs. From now on, as you pull the drapes, You'll see no round, familiar shapes. Nevermore from dusk till dawn will we eat slugs on your lawn. So little gratitude you've shown, from now on you can eat your own. Drowned in rubbish, drowned in junk, that's why our population shrunk. You threw down stuff you couldn't use, the plastic rings from packs of booze. Polluted, poisoned, burned and mowed and run us over on the road. If you'd been a hedgehog's friend, you'd give your pond a shallow end. You'd leave a drink when gardens fried. You'd cover drains where creatures died, where walls are vertical and steep and starving hedgehogs fall asleep. Like the owl which hunts the mouse, like swifts returning to a house, we fit like interlocking rings neatly in the scheme of things. This is the truth. These are the facts. The whole of nature interacts. And so farewell for what it's worth from the final hedgehog left on earth. In garden netting tightly wound, I have no hope of being found. Some curtain call, some final bow, 
You crocodiles, start crying now. Oh, thank you, pal. That was absolutely fantastic. Now, <laughs> uh, so fantastic. I seem to remember when it first came out, it shot straight up the charts, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I didn't know what to expect, really. Because it's such a funny little book, just one poem and a little book, but it went straight into the Sunday Times general bestsellers at number one. It, one week it was number 12 and the next it was number one. Yeah. So it really sort of plugged in, I think, to people's sadness about the plight of the hedgehog and affection for the hedgehog because everybody likes them and whenever people find out that i've written this book they always say the same thing i can predict it they say we used to have loads of hedgehogs around here but now we never see any and there are lots of things that people can do just simple things i think one of the great things is not to be too tidy you know if you're pruning things or cutting a hedge or mowing your grass or if you've got a heap of brush just leave it somewhere in a quiet corner because hedgehogs might not move into it, but it will certainly attract insects. And that's what hedgehogs eat. They eat beetles and earwigs and woodlice and earthworms is their main um, uh, diet. They like earthworms best of all. But a heap of brush may give a hedgehog a home if it's big enough and, and um, meaty enough. And it may give them a place to hibernate. And it will certainly attract the insects that they eat. So I'd say don't be too tidy. Leave a really rough corner. And also if you've got a pond, a pond is a very good thing. But give a means of escape. Put in a bit of chicken wire over the edge just so their little claws can hang on and get out. And, um, you know, if you can afford it or you can make something yourself, put out a hedgehog box, a place where they could either feed or hibernate or have a family along under a wall somewhere in a quiet spot under a shrub. And it's amazing, you know, if you create these habitats, they will come. Pam, I described you as a poet and a writer, which, of course, you are, um, you're, but you're also known as a comedian and a songwriter. Um, what I've never heard mentioned is your skills as a clairvoyant. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you're wondering where I'm going with this. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm <laughs> well, baffled. <laughs> in, in the 70s, you wrote a poem about hedgehogs, didn't you? Yes. In defence yeah. of hedgehogs. I did, yes. Um, the final verse, I think, was rather... Um, well, you were looking into the future with your well, crystal ball, weren't you? Yeah. Do you remember it? Well, I've, I've got it here if you don't. Oh, well done. <laughs> well, let, let, me have a, let me just check. Ah, uh, yes. I wrote this donkey's years ago in about 1972 or three. And uh, at that time, I was driving to work past a wood called Hatford Warren. And on it was heartbreaking because in the spring and the summer, every morning, there would be this fresh crop of bloody flattened hedgehogs that had been run over the night before um and i was pre uh, performing around the folk clubs then with my mother's ukulele because <laughs> my mother was a great fan of george formby well, that's the songwriter and, bit yes <laughs> yeah and uh, also uh, my guitar and i used to look for things to write about and i lit on the idea of writing a poem about hedgehogs I don't use this one anymore because it's too flippant. The tone is wrong. But it got lots of giggles at the time. Uh, the, the lines that people particularly giggled at, I remember, were, it is statistically proven in chapter and in verse that in a car and hedgehog fight, the hedgehog comes off worse, <laughs> you know, which was sort of funny, but it's got a... It's not funny anymore because mm. they are disappearing so fast. Now, this is the last verse of that yes. poem. Yes. <laughs> I took a few poetic liberties here. <laughs> yes, I like those, yes. Oh, spare a thought for hedgehogs. Spare a thought for me. 
Spare a thought for hedgehogs as you drink your cup of tea. Spare a thought for hedgehogs hovering on the brinked. Spare a thought for hedgehogs lest they become extinct. Well, you know, you were only saying, weren't you, 10 years' time, they may well become extinct. But there's a great movement towards protecting hedgehogs. People seem to have woken up to the fact that, you know, it's, it, it's do something or lose them. And there's a, I've, my daughter-in-law comes from Barnes, her family live in Barnes. And in Barnes, in, you know, the suburbs of London, they've got this wonderful movement called Barnes Hedgehogs. And Zach Goldsmith, the MP, has financed this massive drill. And it looks like a thing you might drill the channel tunnel with. And people can borrow it. And one of the chaps is handy with, um, you know, DIY. And you can, get, you can hire the drill and the man will come around and put a hole in your fence or your wall. And that's terribly important because hedgehogs need to forage over between one to two uh, miles a night. Mm. Uh, to, to meet other hedgehogs, to breed and find food. And if people make a hole in the fence, it doesn't need to be very big, about as big as a CD. The hedgehogs can move over that big area and people's gardens, and in many ways it will replace the wild farmland that used to exist before um, the great big fields and the hedges were taken out. You know, they rely on people's gardens. And if hedgehogs can move between gardens, that is a massive help to them. Yes, yeah. Um, I think your answer then just explains why you won um, Celebrity Mastermind. Oh, <laughs> What God. was your chosen subject? <laughs> yeah. Well, Celebrity Mastermind approached me, and I've never considered myself a mastermind. But the thing is, your chosen charity gets 3,000 quid. Uh, which is a great persuader. Um, you, you don't get any money yourself. It, it goes to your chosen charity. And because I'm patron of the local wildlife hospital at Oak and Furrows, I thought, well, I, I may look a complete burk, but I will do it because, you know, that would buy a lot of hedgehog food. <laughs> and so I, I airily said, oh, well, I'll answer questions on British wildlife. Anyway, when I got home, and, and they thought that was a good idea... When I got home and they said the, the questions will be drawn from flora, no, from fauna Britannica, and that is a massive tome. So I knew where the questions were coming from, but it's a great big thing. And when I got it, when this thing came in the post, this book, I, I nearly died because at one end of the spectrum... I know were, those books. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, not, they're not little exercise books, are no. they? No. I mean, at one end, you've got all the insects, you've got the ants and all the different types of ants and dung beetles and earwigs and wood lice and all those tiny things. And then it goes right through all the seabirds. Well, I don't know one seabird. And then right through the dolphins and the porpoises, right up to the whales that you might see around the coast. I nearly died. Died. I thought I'm going to look like a complete idiot. But anyway, as it happened, um, they asked me things that I knew. They asked me about newts, which we got in the pond here. They asked me about beavers, which I did know a bit about because um, I know that they make a massive difference to areas susceptible to flooding. You know, they're very beneficial. And they asked me about slow worms and grey squirrels and stuff. That I mean, the, the questions aren't as hard as they are for academics and for other 
uh, for the real mastermind. But anyway, I won, to my astonishment. I won, only by one mark, but nevertheless, I carried out the great glass trophy, and Oakenferro's got their 3,000 quid. Yeah. So um, it was, yeah, it was great, but it, I was nervous. I thought people are going to say, oh, yeah, Pamir's mastermind. How likely is that? <laughs> so it was nice, because I had the feeling that you get when you take on something and actually pull it off you yes, know it was yeah. a great feeling when i walked out of those studios in salford with my box with the mastermind trophy i could have danced a jig <laughs> oh talking of trophies you you won another trophy quite recently didn't you yeah was I that did. in relation to the hedgehog book i can't remember yeah you're yes. right you're absolutely right yes it was this was a thing which i had to go up to foils in charing cross road about a week ago to collect this is an award um from a it's sponsored by National Book Tokens and it's an award called Books Are My Bag and it's where uh, all sorts of categories of books are voted for by the public, so by the readers. And I think that's the most valuable of all awards really that people not some scholars sitting in a panelled library somewhere have decided that this is the book that should get the prize but the people in the street who actually go into the shop and buy it and read it and enjoy it and then vote for it yeah so I won the poetry category yes. which again I didn't think I was going to because I was up against well not up against but you know the other people in the category were Seamus Heaney and Carol Ann Duffy and people who write very differently from yes. from me but yeah I did um uh, win it and I've got a huge trophy like a biscuit tin <laughs> did it come with shortbread <laughs> no sadly not no. no it comes with a with an included hernia when you take yes. it from the the judge yeah it nearly it was really heavy. <laughs> uh, now, Pam, just to make it clear to listeners, um, we haven't just bumped into each other in Waitrose, have we? Um, I've been helping you in your garden for a few years now. Um, and what we're trying to do is create an oasis, aren't we? An oasis for wildlife. Um, Absolutely. It was my good fortune when we came to this house three years ago and I, we advertised for a gardener that you hove into view, <laughs> um, which has been really nice because my ideas about gardening are not the same as... Um, a lot of gardeners because my interest is in creating habitats for other creatures because I don't want to move onto a bit of ground and shove everything else out I want to live alongside creatures and make habitats where they will feel safe and where they can breed so what um, the kind of things that we've done here with your invaluable help um, I mean I've only just started really but we've got great heaps of brash everywhere and they'll be full of insects and I and the hedgehog makes her way through um, the piles of brash to get the straw for her nest. I've got one, at least one, possibly two hedgehogs hibernating in the garden in hedgehog boxes and you can get a pattern for hedgehog boxes if, you, if you're handy, um, a DIY pattern from the British Hedgehog Preservation Society. They... Um, offer all sorts of advice about hedgehog houses and you can download a pattern which is what we did um, so you can put out hedgehog boxes which I've done here feed the birds plant things that have berries or nectar or pollen so that you get birds and you get insects and then if you get insects you get the birds you know it's a lovely chain that starts from insects at the bottom and um, I also feed the hedgehogs 
I put out food, I either get it from ARC Wildlife, who provide food, who make food that a lot of the wildlife hospitals use, or um, Spikes do um, two sorts of hedgehog food. You can get the crunchy or the moist, whichever your hedgehog prefers, whatever his palate prefers. Um, and I put that out. And my hedgehogs, and I just cobbled up a really a basic feeding station that the cats won't go into, and and foxes, and that is just a big black horticultural tray on a couple of bricks, yes, uh, which lifts it up high enough and keeps the rain off, and then I put a couple of bricks on top uh, to keep uh, keep it dry and keep anything from taking the lid off. And hedgehogs go in there on a regular basis. Well, not now, because they're hibernating. But they all trundle in there at night. It's fantastic. And I can take the lid off and there's somebody in there crunching away at the, <laughs> at the food. It's lovely. Uh, and that didn't cost me anything to create. So I feed them. I provide a habitat. I provide heaps of brush for the hedgehogs. I grow things like pyracantha for berries and um, anything I can find that is got the bee symbol on it. If you look on the RHS website, as you will know, uh, a lot of the plants and shrubs and perennials and such like have got the bee symbol, which means they're a good pollen or nectar producer. So I search out those things. I've got a pond and I've got all sorts of newts in the pond and a large frog was I ball in me when I went round there the other night we got toads here as well of course toads like the pond and they've got the there's the dry stone walls here that they creep into yeah it's magic I love it the more species I can see around me the happier I am and one day I was sitting down in the garden thinking poetic thoughts and um, there was a pile of brash down there as well. And this grass snake came out and just made her way along the wall and disappeared into it, yes. into the wall. And I was so happy because they find it very hard to find a habitat. And we've got the hole in the wall that you mentioned earlier, haven't yes, we? Yes, that's That was right. put in a while ago. That won't go straight through to the back and then into your neighbour's garden. Then that leads on into fields, Absolutely, does it? Absolutely, yes, that's so. right. So there's a, the, you know, there's a real corridor there. Um, as you say, when, when I came to this house... I was heartbroken, really, because we downsized. And at the other house that we left, I had four fields and I had a lovely operation going with Oak and Furrows Wildlife that I took hedgehogs that had been rehabilitated and released them. Of course, because there were fields there, then they were relatively safe. Yes. When I came here, I've got a big garden. I haven't got any land. So, And I was really sad about leaving my hedgehog operation. And I'm a great believer in signs. And the first day we were here, we were surrounded by cardboard boxes. You feel completely disorientated. I went out in the garden that night with the dog and there was a hedgehog and that was December. So it was most unlikely. And I thought, oh, there may be hope yet, you know, that I could do something with a garden. And so I went round to see my neighbor and said, could I put a hole through the wall so the hedgehogs could get out into the fields, as you say. And they were very nice. They said, yeah, that's fine. And then, you know, hedgehogs have been trundling through ever since. Um, we've kept a few areas of uh, long grass, haven't we? We've mm -hmm. planted up a... We got rid of an old shrubbery, planted up a new border with um, uh, nectar plants for, right. for the bees and the butterflies, etc. Yeah, everything, thanks to your hard work, everything down there now is um, beneficial to wildlife in some way. It's either pollen, nectar, berries fruit and strangely enough one of the most popular plants was 
I don't know if you remember, one of the most popular plants that uh, we didn't introduce was the cephalaria down on the left-hand border, wasn't it? The big uh, sort of six-foot-high yellow da- um, yeah, like daisy. Yeah, like a scabious. Yeah, scabious. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's really good value. That I inherited that, so yes. that I'm going to protect that. That's like a great big creamy yellow scabious, and it's always covered in bees and hoverflies, and it's a delight to look yes, at, and yeah. it's so prolific. There's so many nice flowers. Um, they just keep on coming, but it is quite lanky. Yes, yeah, it doesn't look good after it's flowered, but uh, up until then, no, it's a fantastic mm, plant. And yeah. it was outperforming things like Verbena bonariensis mm. um, tenfold with the amount of insects it was attracting yes. when, when it was in flower. Um, it was, but the Verbena was brilliant. The Eupatorium you advised me to plant, that was great. That was covered in uh, bumblebees. The thing I'm most pleased with from a bee point of view, bumblebee, is the napita. Yes. I've got the napita walkers low. That's what we went for in the end, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yes. because at the last house I had walkers um, six hills giant. And that, that's all right, but it's enormous and it flopped all over the path and it was covered in bees. So when you walked along, you risked getting your ankles stung. <laughs> so the walkers low, napita here has been absolutely fantastic. That was fantastic. I yeah. seem to remember I, we cut it back before mm. I went on holiday, which was mid-July or something, mm. and I think I came back, and within a couple of weeks, it was in flower again, and it has was. really only just stopped flowering quite recently. I know. If, if, if people want my recommendation for one good wildlife plant, I would say Napita. Six Hills Giant, if you've got loads of room, Walker's Low, if you haven't, because it's plastered in bumblebees. Little ones, great big bruisers. It's lovely. It's a really good yes. plant. Uh, and, and there is another option I came across recently. I've forgotten its name. It's something like Walker's Junior or something oh. like that. It's, it's the next step down. So oh, is it? whatever size garden you've got, there's something there's for, for you. Yes, oh, yeah. that's interesting. Um, so the book pan, once again, it's The Last Hedgehog, and it's published by Picador. Um, obviously, you can get it from your local bookshop. Um, mine, incidentally, uh, in Sirencester, Gloucestershire, had plenty in stock. You'll be happy to they're, know. <laughs> yeah, they're very supportive, they are. They've got it by the till. Um, and I think, you know, it's a little dinky book and people buy it. Yes, in fact, I couldn't find it on the shelves, so I asked. And they said it was about oh. two foot away from where I was asking. Oh, uh, yes, yeah. Yeah. They've been very, very supportive. Yes. Um, and uh, even in foils in Charing Cross Road, there are plen- uh, plenty of the yes. copies. So. It's done really well. And uh, and also, I'd like people to know that um, it, the British Hedgehog Preservation Society also benefit from it. So all the advance, which was, well, it wasn't a huge advance, it was £2,000. I gave that to the British Hedgehog Preservation Society and also a percentage of my royalties go to the British Hedgehog Preservation Society. So I don't want people to think I'm just cashing in, yes. you know. they are <laughs> The hedgehogs do benefit when you buy the book. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what's next, Pam? What's next is I'm working on an, a book of poems called probably, I'll probably call it Up in the Attic, which is the name of one of the poems. And that's a general selection of funny poems, um, uh, which I hope people will find amusing. And that's, uh, I've got to hand in the manuscript by m- the end of March, and then that will be published next September, October time. Um I'm also working on a novel, but I've sort of run out of steam with that. I wonder if I'm actually a novelist. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's it's great fun to do. I don't know if it will come to anything or not, but we'll we'll see. And then I've also had a cracking idea for um, a children's book about a wildlife warrior. 
Ah. Um, it won't be the only one out there, of course, but um, it, that's quite a strong idea that I'm quite excited about at the moment. So more on that anon. Ah, right. Well, we'll look forward to that. Um, Pam, thanks so much for your time. Should we come up with a few suggestions uh, plant-wise that people can put in their gardens to help things along? Yeah, let's uh, let's do that. Now, I think my my top bit of advice perhaps would be to leave a nice heap of pruning somewhere that attract insects and possibly be a nest site or a place to sleep for hedgehogs. And also my plant recommendation to everybody is in all the garden centres. It's lovely. It produces berries, uh, nectar and a nest site. That would be a pyracantha. You can get lovely bright red ones, can't you? Or yellow or orange. Go for a pyracantha and grow it up your wall. And the other similar plant actually is Cotoneaster, of course. Um, amazing, tiny little flowers that go unnoticed, don't yeah, they? They do. But that's smothered true. in bees. I think the plant I'd probably recommend yeah. for late season would be um, some of the dahlias, the, the single dahlias. You had some here, didn't you? I did. I bought some from Sarah Raven, and uh, I, I was. I thought they were delightful to look at. They were so pretty, and also, forget the pom pom ones wouldn't you say? Yes, definitely. Because um, you want something that opens up so that the insects can get to the pollen. So, yeah, I think your suggestion of um, a single open dahlia is a fab one. It's been really nice talking to you. Thank you, and good luck with your podcast. was a real privilege to spend some time with Pam. She's so passionate about wildlife. It's quite an experience working with her in her garden. I've had to become quite skilled at ungardening and re-educating myself away from the tidy practices of regular gardens. I think I'll get a bumper sticker entitled What Would Pam Do? Or maybe a range of t-shirts emblazoned with Be More Pam. One thing I know for sure, this time next year we may not be millionaires, Rodney. But if we follow in Pam's footsteps, our gardens will certainly be far more richer because of it. Thank you, Pam. Now, if you enjoy podcasts, you may be interested to add another gardening show to your listening schedule. Take a listen to this. Hello, I'm Sarah Wilson from the Roots and All podcast. On the podcast, I talk about gardening indoors and out with some of the most knowledgeable people around. Listen and find out the answers to things like why you should plant a tree in a square hole, not a round one, whether or not that fox that comes in your garden is going to try and eat your cat, why we've been growing alliums all wrong, why we keep killing our cacti and succulents, how we can deal with slugs if we don't want to kill them, why we as gardeners should be worshipping at the feet or bellies of earthworms, what you can expect if you hire a garden designer, whether or not you need a gardener and how much you should pay them, how to disbud dahlias, how to water your houseplants, What is biochar? What is the perfect tree for a small garden? What are the best plants for wildlife? Anyway, you get the picture. There's loads of great information for growers, so I'd love it if you'd join me for an episode. Find the Roots and All podcast on iTunes or your usual podcast provider, or you can listen direct from my website, www.rootsandall.co.uk. Thanks so much, Sarah. I've already subscribed. So, the answer to my question earlier... A gathering of hedgehogs is known as an array. Okay, so I googled it too. From an array of hedgehogs to a confusion of gardeners, here I am with Jeff for our product review. 
A note of caution, this review may not be suitable for people suffering from bathophobia. Not the thing Jeff suffers from on a Friday night after a day on his muddy allotment, but a fear of depths. Wells, in this case. We're back on the allotment, and this is Jeff Carr with Joff, and he's holding what looks like a, some kind of um, shooting device. <laughs> uh, it looks brand new, um, and I'm struggling to work out what this is. <laughs> I think you know what it is, Jeff. It's funny, we've been talking about guns, haven't we? The last uh, item we looked at, remember the bowl plants we looked at the other the, week? The purdy. Yes, yeah. the purdy. Well, yeah. this is a similar weapon. Um, well, it's not similar in any way whatsoever, but it is a long-handled, telescopic, extending it's secateur. Secateurs. Yes. Now, what's new about that, you may well ask. They're not new. I remember using one of these 10, 15 years ago. Um, I think it was made by a Japanese company. Quite expensive. I think it was about 90 quid at the time. And really nice. Anyway, we lost a spring in the handle, and um, that was the end of it. It just wasn't efficient after that. Anyway, I came across this the other day. It's called a... I don't know how you pronounce, pronounce it, a finether or a fine ether or F-I-N-E-T-H-E-R. And it is indeed a extending secateur. I think it goes to three metres. Right. Now you can see it's what, one, two, three sections. So you just press the button down and it extends out. And again, this other section and a little pin pops into place so it's quite firm. You've got a, uh, what would you call it's that? A trigger. A, a trigger. A trigger at, at, at this end. There's even a strap to go over your shoulder if you want. I'm not quite sure what effect. I don't use the strap much. Um, I haven't got it set at the right length. But um, as you can see, you know, I've got a reach now of, looks more than three metres, it does. doesn't it? Yeah, that looks like three and a half. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, this has proved to be absolutely fantastic. Since the day I got it, which was about three months ago, I haven't stopped using it. You can imagine all those occasions where the uh, wisteria is sending out its little rat tails, yeah. you know. Um, brilliant for that. Yeah. Now, brilliant because... You're working on your own. You're not going up a ladder. Yeah. For that reason alone, it's worth yeah. the price. I'm going yeah. to tell you how much it is in a minute. Okay. Um, but you know, Geoff, you, you don't have to use it when you're just pruning roses. You know, you, you, you don't, just because you like it, it doesn't mean, <laughs> no. it doesn't mean that you can just use your normal no, secretaries. I'll tell you what it's good for as well. You know, from working in that garden uh, that, that I saw you in last time with the big border. Yes. If you're having to deadhead, let me show you. Look, there's some dahlias here. Um, there you go. Now, you'll, you'll be very impressed with this. Watch carefully. For those of you who weren't watching, not only does it clip and cut, it holds on to what you've cut. Yeah, so you can deadhead a whole border without having to wade in there. Um, now... I think if you're deadheading lichnis, you might have, you know, be a little bit cheesed off. But if for things like dahlias, any of the larger flowered uh, perennials, brilliant. Although I was joking about roses, some climbing roses, yeah. uh, halfway up a house, uh, it's always a hassle when you, you, you cut the, the deadhead off. You have to go back down afterwards, pick it up, yeah. put it in the bin. You, you, if you're doing it all morning, then your back starts to hurt. The good thing about this is you do it from the ground. What you've got to remember is you don't have the bucket next to you. <laughs> you have the bucket four metres away from you or three metres away. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a bit yeah. of a faff. Well, but um, that's exactly what I used. The first job I used it for was deadheading of a rose that was underneath. It was going over somebody's bedroom window and it was brilliant. And as I say, I didn't have to go and get the ladder sorted, you yeah. know, and it's by a window. So you can't put it up against the window. You're on the ledge. It, it, 
it just... Any, anything that keeps you on the ground, uh, as opposed to going up a ladder, is well worth considering. And I know that there are other items on the market similar to this, but where they fall down compared to this is that they don't have the trigger action. Ah, uh, I know. There's yes. one, I think it's made by an outfit called Wolf. Yes. Where uh, you've probably got the same reach, but it's a two-handed operation. You have to hold onto the pole with one hand and, and pull a lever. Yes. Uh, or pull a string. That's it. With a handle on the end, with the other hand. Yeah. And that is nowhere near as manoeuvrable as, as this product you've no. got here. To be fair, those may well manage a slightly thicker stem if you were pruning apple trees they might be yeah. a little bit more useful but um yeah nowhere near as good no. quite unwieldy for more of the delicate jobs certainly yeah. so i recommend this and what are you going to pay for it jeff uh i reckon that bearing in mind it's going to save you could save your life yeah i would say that they could probably charge uh, 50 quid for that yeah good guess good guess 22.95 bargain yeah bargain uh free postage if i remember rightly so Get yourself on, um, I think, Amazon, I think it was. It looks well made as well. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, at 22.95, if it lasts me a season or a year, yeah. I'll be happy. Yeah. Um, and as I say, you can get better quality ones. Um, I haven't researched w what else you can get, but um, we had a good Japanese one before, and it, was, it wasn't any more efficient than this. In fact, as I say, we lost the spring in the handle, and that pretty well finished it it might yeah. sound like you get around it but it, it just no. wasn't efficient after that so uh no. yeah so that's the fin ether fine ether um long handled extending pruner also useful if you happen to drop something down a well <laughs> you could uh, grab hold of it and uh, bob's your uncle you're talking about a nightmare of mine <laughs> I, I was up a ladder the uh, i was up a ladder the other day pruning something and i had to put the base of the ladder on the top of a well now, this particular well is 72 foot deep. And I, you know when you work on your own for a long time, your mind starts to wander. <laughs> and I was thinking, if this ladder goes down, that's going to be pretty cold, You'll 72 feet again. down. But I knew the postman was coming within three hours. <laughs> I knew there was a way out. And I, I didn't have Lassie to go and tell, tell them that I'd fallen down the well. So, uh, yeah, things that go through your mind when you work alone. You like to live on the edge, don't you? <laughs> I do. Thanks, Geoff. Thank you very much. Thanks, Geoff. Very, very impressive. Good. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you at home for listening right to the end. If you need to contact me, I've got a website, www.joffelfic.co.uk. Take a look there. You can email me from there, or you can even phone me if you wish. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and for now, may your secateurs be well honed, your box be free of blight, and may your garden be home to an array of hedgehogs. I'll see you next time. Hello? 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 Anyone? Anyone? Posty? Posty?